Take out your Bible and open to Genesis chapter 23. This is the narrative account of Sarah's death. And it stands in a stark contrast to where we have just been, where God has preserved the life of Isaac. Go from Isaac's life, God's provision of a ram stuck in a thicket, takes his place on the altar to death. It's like chapter 22, life. Chapter 23, death. Just turn the page and we go from what a great moment to a very sad moment. Sarah's death and Abraham's grief. Abraham mourns here much like we would today. He's sad with death comes deep sadness. We experience very similar thing. Loss is real. The heartache is real. The separation is real. A fear of our own, our own death in those moments is, is real. <clears throat> a friend whose mom passed away this, this past week, she was 58. Another friend whose mom is in hospice care, won't be long. Memorial service at the Brentwood campus this past week. Another one just a few days ago, a few days ago just down the road. I could go on. So could you. It's all around us. And it's not just that death is hard or sad. It's terribly sad, terribly hard. It's not just that, though. It's that death can be confusing to us. Not just the world around us, but to us as Christians, it can be confusing. We have questions, we have doubts, we, we hope and we wonder all at the same time. This tension, this tension that just kind of bubbles up in us. Not quite sure what to do with all this. Not quite sure what I believe about all this. Well, as we open to chapter 23, we find that Abraham's living in a very similar tension. He's been promised some things, been promised descendants, been promised a land, and, and none of that has been fulfilled when the recipients of the promise begin to die, Sarah and Abraham. That's theologically significant. And Abraham does something here. He does something here in chapter 23 that offers great hope, even in the midst of Sarah's death. It's not something that you might expect, not something that jumps off the page at first reading, but it is something that is very real. Now, when we turn to chapter 23, the first two verses and the last two verses, there's a sense to which that's all we really need to know. That's the story. It's really the story in its entirety. So the question then becomes, why verses three through 18? Why all this detail in the middle? It's because the author wants us to know something. He wants us to know something distinctive about Abraham, something remarkable about God here, and something that is guaranteed for you and me. So take your Bible with me. Look at verse one. I'm gonna read chapter 23 of the death and burial of Sarah. Just follow along as I read. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. After some time, then Abraham rose from before his dead 
and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, key phrase, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose, bowed to the people of the land, that is the sons of Heth. He spoke with them saying, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. Now, something that you guys need to know just briefly about the word give in Hebrew in this context. It does not mean give like we mean it today. Like I give this to you free of charge. That's not what this means here. It means I will transact business with you. I will do this deal with you. So don't get confused by that. That's helpful for our context. Now, verse 12, Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Now, I want you just to notice this by way of observation before I finish. Abraham offers to buy a cave burial site for Sarah. Ephron is actually negotiating here. You want the cave, you buy the field. So Abraham responds and says, okay, I'll buy the field too. Tracking with me now, pick it up in verse 14. Then Ephron answered Abraham saying to you, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Again, negotiation tactic. He slips in the price of the field. Did you notice that? 400 shekels of silver. What's that between me and you? Except that I want you to pay that for the field and the cave, okay? 16, Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field, that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah facing Mamre, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth and I am out of breath. All the detail, can you believe it? All the repetition of where they are, where Abraham's burying Sarah, her death, her burial, all the narrative about this transaction and the negotiation within it. All to show us, all to show us something 
something distinctive about Abraham. Here's what it shows us. Abraham's actions are evidence of his faith in the promise. Abraham's actions, what he does here, actually demonstrate evidence of his faith in God's promise to him, which has not arrived yet. I'll unpack this. Abraham has no place to bury Sarah, right? He doesn't even own land. He owns no land. So what does Abraham do? Well, instead of going back to where Sarah's ancestors are, back to the east, back to Mesopotamia, instead of going back there, which is what everybody did, that was the cultural norm of the day, instead of going back to the family burial site, no, Abraham makes a way for Sarah to be buried here. Why is that significant? Because it's in the promised land. Evidence of his faith in the promise, not going back home, but I'm going to stay here. And you can feel the tension of this rising out of the text when when you know this, when you know that there is a genealogy about Abraham's brother Nahor that is squished in between the account of Isaac and the death of Sarah. Now, why is that interesting? Well, it's only four verses, which is short for a genealogy. And it comes in the middle of a narrative account. Typically, genealogies, in almost every case, in fact, they are together in a section of scripture in a chapter and we, we get lists of names and grandsons and lineages and we see lineages so that we might point to Christ or, or we see people, real life people that were there in the region in that day. It, it, there's significance to these genealogies that are much bigger than Abraham's brother kind of squished in right here. And what it shows us is that what I just said was true, that, that all of this funeral, burial, that should, that should happen back there. It's like assumed, it's just assumed by, by the author almost, like that all goes back home. That, that all happens back east. No, no, it doesn't, Abraham says. That will happen here. Why? Because we're not going back. That's why. God's promises are true. The future is right here. She'll be buried here. Abraham's actions, evidence of his faith in the promise. Now, it's also interesting that the only part of land, the land that Abraham ever owns is a grave. The part of land he owns in his lifetime is a grave. It does become a family burial site. He's buried there. In fact, his son, his grandson, the patriarchs of the faith are also buried there, which is interesting. His son, grandson, their wives, others, they never go back to Mesopotamia either. Never return. Future. The promise is here. And, and it's significant here too that, that Abraham actually buys this piece of property. He, he purchases it. See, all this detail that we read through that was so repetitious, all, all the detail is very significant. Negotiation, the transaction, the 400 shekels of silver, the witnesses that had happened in the city gate where citizens of the city are going in and out before the sons of Heth, that is the ruling party of the region. All, the transaction is very clear. It's in the hearing of all these people, the deed that's handed over. It's significant in this way in that Abraham now, because of this process, has an impeccable deed for this piece of property. An impeccable 
claim to this piece of property, meaning that no one can come back and reclaim it later. Significance. Well, that's significant. Here's the other piece. There's a stake, small little piece of land, is a stake in what will be the whole land. Evidence of Abraham's great faith, even in a land that's been promised to him. It's a stake in the ownership of what is to come. The future is right here. You see, Ephron walked away from the transaction with a pocket full of silver that he couldn't take with him when he died. And Abraham, in the same moment, obtained an inheritance that he could not lose. So there's something remarkable about Abraham, something distinctive about Abraham. And the distinctive about Abraham is his faith even in the midst of his wife's death. Something remarkable about God as well. An author shows us here that, that God's promises are actually made more sure in death. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. God's promises are actually made more sure in death. We're going to have to explain that. Well, let's go here. Did death end the fulfillment of the promise? Did Sarah's death, Abraham's death, did it end the fulfillment of God's promise to them? It didn't, did it? Death didn't end, did not keep Sarah's offspring from possessing the promised land. No, death did not end the promise that from Sarah's womb would come a great nation. All we have to do is look back in history to see that that's true. We can, on this side of history, look back and see that from Abraham and Sarah became offspring, descendants, generations that became the great nation, the nation we know as Israel. That's true. That happened. God's promises, they don't end with this life. They are only just birthed in this life. We hold on to them in this life. Oh, for sure we hold on to them. That's our hope. They are partially fulfilled in this life. It's a work of Christ that we might be saved. But, but oh no, not, not fully consummated, not in their fullness. God's promises are actually made more sure in the life to come. They're found after the grave, at least completed after the grave. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about, about life and death, about the idea that there is life following death and what the source is for that. It's 1 Corinthians 15. He's writing to a group in Corinth that have gotten mixed up about life and death gotten mixed, mixed up about resurrections. Here's what he says to them and to us. He says, now if Christ is preached, and he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Corinth, how, how do some among you say there's no resurrection if, if Christ is actually preached that he has been raised from the dead? How, how fellowship do some of us go, uh, I don't know about life after death. I'm not sure if, if Christ has been preach that there is resurrection. But there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Why? Because we're still in our sins. There is no hope for us. But now, Paul, Paul, think about Paul's context, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. 
I know all the apostles. I know all the eyewitnesses. Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who go to sleep. That is those who are believers who die. He's raised, so those are two. For since by a man came death, talking about Adam, physical death and spiritual death, separation from God through our sin. By a man came death. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Which man? Jesus, second man. For as in Adam, all will die. So also in Christ, all will be, might be, can be, all will be made alive. Our hope for today is what's found, is in what's found beyond the grave. So something, excuse me, that is distinctive about Abraham, namely his faith in the midst of death. Something that is remarkable about God, that is that our hope for today is found in what's actually next. It's actually found through death to new life in Christ and something that is guaranteed for you and me. Here's the guarantee. Here's the promise of God to us in Genesis chapter 23, very early on. Death is not the end. It is only a doorway to hope fulfilled. Death is not the end. It's inevitable for every one of us. But it's only a doorway to our hope fully consummated. We hope now because that's true. Sarah lived 127 years. 127 years is not long in light of eternity past and eternity future. It's longer than we live, but it too is not very long. We might get 80 or 90 if all goes well. Again, just a drop in the bucket in terms of eternity, stretching an infinite eternity, if that's even possible to say it that way. Eternity has no end. It's just a drop. We are strangers and sojourners in this land. Verse four, I'm a stranger and I'm a sojourner in this land. Abraham says it. That's true in a physical sense for sure. It's also true very ripely in a spiritual sense. I don't belong here, but I'm here for a moment. I'm here temporarily. We two are just the same. Spiritual exiles far from home. We're placed here for the short term. We live in tents, just like Abraham. They're, they're made of brick and wood today, but they won't last long after we die, just like the canvas that held Abraham. Live here temporarily, short term. It's not our home. Have you ever been to a foreign country? Ever been in a place where um, you are the distinct minority, maybe, even in our own country? And you walk around and everybody just looks at you different. You are different. Speak different. You look different. You're just out of place. You stand and yeah, that just doesn't fit. It's weird. Ever been in that situation? Welcome to the life of Abraham. 65 years in a foreign land. And, and welcome to your life as a Christian. You're strange. You're weird. I can tell just by looking at you. So am I. We're different. We stand out. This land, you, you'll be like an evergreen in a cornfield. 
this land, you'll feel like you're wearing a three-piece suit to Bonnaroo. Or a three-piece suit to fellowship, for that matter. It's true about here. Stand out. Strangers in this land. We might say it this way. In life, we're sojourners. In the life to come, we're heirs to the promise. There's our home. Hebrews chapter 11, a famous passage, the hall of faith, all these men and women of faith that have gone before us. And at the end of chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews writes these words. He says, all of these gone before us, having gained approval through their faith. Quick side note here. How do you gain approval with God? How? How is it? Through our faith, right? Belief in Jesus Christ. So I, I gain approval with God by uh, not missing church, right? I gain approval with God if, if I study God's word. Every day, if I get my 45 minutes in, not bad. Get, do I gain approval with God? No. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be legalistic about it. I'm gonna do everything right all the time. If I can get it right on this earth, maybe I'll be good enough for God, right? No. No, how did these heroes of the faith gain approval, gain standing with God? How? Faith, belief in Jesus Christ. That was kind of a mini message. It's not really the point. Sorry about that. Hebrews 11, all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised on this earth because God had provided something better for them and for us after they leave. That's why. Gained approval through their faith, great, but didn't receive the promise. What's promised, no, not on earth, doesn't come here, it's not fulfilled here. They didn't see it here, why? Because God is providing something better. Death is but a doorway. Our citizenship lies in heaven. Since last October, I have experienced this feeling, this idea of being an alien, a stranger, an exile, a sojourner on this earth, and I've experienced it in my own soul. Struggling with depression and and anxiety, wrestling with something that is true about me in this life that I have a propensity toward, actually, I learned in this life, but something that will not be true of me in the life to come. There have been intensely dark moments, intensely sad moments, intensely angry moments, intensely lonely moments, intensely hopeless moments. There have. I was sitting on the courthouse steps with Lloyd and a young man just last week. And Lloyd looked at me and he said, hey, Share, share with our friend how you find hope when you're hopeless. I don't know. Boy, good question. No. Actually, I do know. And as God would have it, it's found in our text for today. See, our hope when we are in fact hopeless is found by recognizing the fact that you're gonna die. Yeah. Hope when you're hopeless is found when we recognize that we are in fact one day going to die. Our hope for today lies in what is true about tomorrow. Death is inevitable. 
but it's not the end. Actually, our greatest hope is found when we recognize that death is actually okay. Sad, oh yes. Hard, yes. But not the end. You see, darkness, whatever it looks like in our lives, all around us, darkness, whatever it looks like in our lives is not meant to just be survived. Like if I can just get through this darkness, then I can get to better days on this earth. It's not, no, it's not meant to just be survived. Why? Well, because what happens when I get to better days? I just walked through a storm. Now I'm in better days. What happens next? I got 12 hours worth of good days. That's exactly right. Another storm. Darkness is all around us. Loneliness, fear, sadness. It will not end here. It won't. So often look at God when we're filled with sorrow and grief and pain. We say, God, where are your promises? I've said that a lot over the last 11 months. Like, where are they? Just show me where they are. And we come at God angry, like, I don't understand. We come at God sad. I just don't get it. I'm confused. Please show me how your promises are true and real. You know what happens when we come at God like that? He steps back and crosses his arms, pious. No, no. Same posture as always. My arms are big enough for you for all that. In fact, I'm, Bill, Bill, listen, I'm so glad you're here. Like you're here right now. And I'm so glad you brought your whole heart to me. This might be the first time you've brought a lot of your heart to me. I knew you were angry. Gosh, are you kidding? I knew you were sad. Knew you were lonely. Who on this earth isn't? Bring it all. Just bring it all. I used to think that, that God could take it like he could take our anger. That's true, but it's not enough. God actually cares when we bring our whole heart to him. And here's why. Because then he can give his whole heart to us. See, he actually wants it from us. He's inviting us. My arms are big enough for you and I, I'm here to give you hope. Now, here's the rub just a bit. The hope... I'm going to give you, it's not going to be fulfilled in this life, okay? You taste it, you will taste it. Uh, your hope, it's sure. My promises are sure, but it's not going to be fulfilled, not consummated fully, not, not in the here and now. So here's what I'm asking you to do, Bill. I, I'm asking you, at least temporarily, in, in your temporary dwelling, for the time that you're here, I'm asking you to hold two things as true, this tension. Your reality, whatever that might be right now, your reality that death is inevitable and that's scary and hard. I'm asking you to hold that with my promise. I promise that what lies on the other side is your hope for today. I'm just, I'm just asking you to take the R and the P and I'm gonna ask you to hold those two things in tension. I'm gonna ask you to hold them for just a little while because hope is found in the promise of what is certainly coming and hope is found in the reality that you'll only be here a little while longer. I'll be with you every step of the way. You see, hope fulfilled for each one of us is but a moment away.
we often ask the question as we get to the end of a chapter or, or section that we're teaching. We ask the question, okay, so what do I do with this truth? Okay, my hope for today is found in what is actually true about tomorrow. <laughs> actually true. What do I do with that? How, what do I believe? What's God invite me to believe or to do or to sit with or to trust? And I am going to ask you that question and ask you to consider that just personally before the Lord and in just a moment, but I've had some time to think about it. And so I want to answer the question first. If I could learn a lesson from Abraham today, if I could actually trust more fully in God's promise, not in getting past these days to the next or in something here, but I actually could trust that my hope is found in what is certainly true about the life to come. If I actually believe that fully, what would be different about me? What would be changed about the way that I live? I'll answer it this way. I would worry less about money if I actually trusted that. I think having enough money brings security. So trying to get to enough money, it doesn't, does it? I, I would actually do less on my to-do list might even throw the yellow legal pad that I keep it on away. I would have more fun. I would. I would literally stop to smell the roses. I would delight in my wife and kids. I would grow more comfortable with brokenness, comfortable with failure, more comfortable with apology and forgiveness. I would live more confessionally if I believe this to be true. I would hope more in what's real. I would feel more and do less. I, I, I would be okay when others are not okay with me, at least more so. I would be angry when I'm angry. I would be sad when I'm sad. And I would stop running past those emotions like they're gonna go away. I would offer myself more to relationships. I would engage more with those who are most important to me. I would trust God in the midst of all of that. I would enjoy him more. I would cry more. I would weep more. I, I, I would live with a fierceness for those, that's for those who, are, who are in Jesus Christ that I'm sometimes scared to live with. I would be less ambitious. I would hate myself less and, and hate others less. I would be more honest, even if it cost me something. I would actually be that which I am, a stranger and a sojourner. I would be different and okay when I'm hated for it. I would trust God. I, I would actually speak the truth. I would love radically and I would get this. I would suffer more, more willingly. Suffer more like Jesus Christ who suffered and died the ultimate stranger and exile on this earth who died for us that we might have a place to call home. A permanent home, a true home. More like Jesus Christ who suffered and died, but didn't stay dead. Who was raised 
that all of God's promises would be fulfilled to us. Who was raised and being raised, who made a way for us to die with full assurance that death is not the end. Men and women, that is our greatest hope. I want you to take just a moment right now to answer this question for you. If you were to truly believe this, trust it, death is not the end. Hope for today is actually because the promises will be fulfilled by God himself. What would be different about your own life? Take a minute to answer that question, would you? I haven't tried this in any of the other services, but I'm gonna try it here. Somebody be courageous enough just to say one thing that would be different about you. Just say it out. What would be different about you? Less worry. Somebody else. Say it again. Love others more. Just keep going around the room. What would be different? Risk. Fear. Talk more openly about the Lord. Have fun. Delight in your children. Live from joy. Trust. We'd be different, wouldn't we? We'd stand out. Father, I pray that you'd make us a weird people. Really, really, really weird. Strange in this culture, in this land. Knowing all the while that whatever we face is temporary and that your promises are true. So we say by faith, like Abraham did, even in the midst of death, we trust you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand with me if you would. I want to send us out with just another word from Hebrews chapter 11, this time about Abraham. It says, Abraham by faith lived as an alien, the land of promise is in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which has actual foundations, a city where the architect and the builder are God. And who died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that he was actually, he and Sarah were strangers, exiles on this earth. For those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own, or a real home, a permanent home. For if they indeed had been thinking of their old country from which they went out, they would have returned there and buried Sarah there. But as it is, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them and for you. We live by that same faith and with that same hope. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.